I want to tell you a story. It's a story that I think deserves to be heard, but actually it's a difficult one for me to tell because it's still being written. If I stand back, I can see that it's almost unbelievable. But the truth is, I can't stand back for very long because it's a story about how and why my mother was murdered. My mother was Daphne Caruana Galizia and she was a Maltese investigative journalist. The last words she wrote, just half an hour before she was killed, were, there are crooks everywhere you look now. The situation is desperate. A journalist who investigated corruption among politicians, officials and business people in Malta has been killed by a car bomb. Daphne Caruana Galizia died on Monday afternoon. Police believe a bomb that killed a prominent journalist in Malta was attached beneath her car and triggered remotely. Two weeks ago, Daphne Caruana Galizia had told police that she was receiving death threats. On Monday, the car... Malta's most influential investigative journalist was murdered, her body blown clean out of the vehicle. She was killed. Some point a finger at the state authorities. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. On the 16th of October 2017, at the moment the bomb went off, I was at work in London. At the same time, the rest of my family was back home in Malta. Matthew, my eldest brother, was at our family home in Bidnia, where he had been working alongside my mother on a journalism project. Andrew, my middle brother, was at work at the Foreign Affairs Ministry in the capital, Valletta. Just a few streets away, my father Peter, a lawyer, was about to head into a meeting. Only a few days later, he would be giving this speech at the European Parliament. So, my wife Daphne was an extraordinary woman, but I think you know this already. No one would go to such lengths to silence a woman who doesn't matter. My wife was killed because she mattered, because the powerful were afraid of her and the criminal were infuriated by her. When all legal means were exhausted, when all illegal threats had proven ineffective, there was only one solution left. My wife was executed suddenly, violently and mercilessly, a few meters from the home in which we raised our family. To say my wife was brave is true. But bravery alone has little value without a sense of purpose, without a sense of injustice, and without the capacity for outrage. But Daphne never grew cynical. She grew angrier, more outraged and appalled by the increasingly sordid and frightening facts that emerged from her work. And the more frustrated Daphne grew with the state of our country, the more beautiful our garden grew. 
the more trees you planted, the more books, art, ornaments and curiosities from all over the world arrived at our home. Daphne created, in the words of one of my sons, a parallel world of beauty in a country that slipped further and further away from the European values and norms of behaviour which he held so closely. We went with my father to the European Parliament and it was one of the first times we had left the house since her assassination. His speech marked the start of a very public, very intense campaign to seek justice for my mother. We want to know who ordered her killing. We want the masterminds. We also want to know the reasons as to why our mother was killed. We want to know who ordered it, who commissioned it, why, everything. That links the government to the prime minister. We travelled from country to country, speaking to anyone who would listen to us about the situation in Malta. We gave more interviews to more newspapers, TV stations and radio stations than I care to remember. And for a while, we felt like we were making some progress. Malta was coming under a level of scrutiny that was too long in coming. But then, in 2018, the momentum we had worked so hard to build was slowing down, and it felt like things had hit a lull. Even worse, it looked as if the people who ordered my mother's assassination might get away with it. By October 2019, on the second anniversary of my mother's assassination, things had completely stalled. So I decided to go back to Malta with my producer Gary. Are we in the same row? To try and understand what was happening there. Malta is a three-hour flight from London. It sits just south of Italy and north of Libya, and it's home to under half a million people. It's also a place I had been avoiding. This was only my third trip back since my mother's funeral. My father Peter picked us up from the airport. There he is. Hi. And we headed to the capital Valletta for a quick plate of pasta. On the way there, we talked about Malta, how small it is and how everyone knows each other. And as if to prove the point, when we got to the restaurant, two of my oldest friends knocked on the window and gave us a wave. After we dropped Gary off, my father and I drove to our house in Bidnia, which sits on a ridge separating two valleys. It's greener and more peaceful there. I was so tired that I went straight to bed in my old room. But I didn't sleep for very long. At six in the morning, my phone came alive with a stream of messages. The first was simple. It said, Jorgen Fenech is under arrest. Reports from Malta say that one of the island's top businessmen, Jorgen Fenech, has been arrested. I couldn't believe it. Just a few hours after we landed, a man I had long suspected of being so centrally implicated in my mother's murder was arrested while trying to flee the country on his yacht. I knew instantly 
the significance of this moment. This, I told myself, is where it all falls apart. I'm Paul Caruana Galizia, Daphne's youngest son, and this is episode one of my mother's murder. My mother rarely gave interviews, but just a few days before she was killed, she sat down with a researcher from the Council of Europe to talk about her life and her work. Here you're talking, basically, uh-huh. I'm just making sure that I am recording. I'd hate it to not happen. Okay, basically, how I was hoping to go about the interview is that we would start by you telling me your story. Okay. I want to play you a clip from this interview because it shows just how much pressure she was under and how much danger she was in. All the, all the problems, the greatest difficulties I encounter come from the fact that they have made me into what in effect is a national scapegoat. And this has gone on for 30 years now. Yes. You know? okay. So I am, a, I am in a situation where people who can't even read English and therefore have never read anything I've written, okay. at the same time are aware of who I am, yes. Or know that they are meant to hate me or dislike me or despise me or disagree with me or whatever and react to me on that basis. Totally irrespective of what I write, Mm -hmm. but as the person, as the figure that they are told to hate. So this has become a massive, massive problem. The word she used, scapegoat, is, I think, perfect. An innocent creature, ritually picked out and blamed for society's problems, and then banished. But how did it get to this? I was thinking about where to start, and then I realised my mother's story and Malta's go hand in hand from the beginning. An island, for its size perhaps the most famous in the world, occupying a glorious place in history, Malta. This is no ordinary day in the George Cross Island. Malta is achieving independence. And there in her honour... My mother was born in 1964, the year Malta became independent from the United Kingdom. Okay, so if I sit like this, it's okay? Yeah, that's okay. That's my aunt Cora. She was born just a year after my mother. They went to school together, grew up together and went out together. Politically, it was a very turbulent time. I mean, it was a post-colonial period, which is always going to be turbulent. It's not like people were fighting in the streets and there was bloodletting everywhere, whatever. But politically, it was fragile. The atmosphere of instability and unpredictability didn't just continue. It got worse. It turned into one of oppression and of violence throughout the 70s as my mother and Cora were at school together. You couldn't talk about politics at school, you know, because people were afraid that if they spoke up at school, classmates would go back and report to their parents what you were saying. That meant your parents got into trouble. Your business or your property would be expropriated, for instance, or you'd be seen as an enemy of of the state. The tension kept building and building throughout the 70s and up until the early 1980s, when things hit a real turning point. The government, led by a radical left-wing prime minister, Don Mintoff, wanted to shut down all the church schools running in the country. 
By that point, my mother and Cora had left school, but they took part in the protests that were happening daily against Mintoff's policy on schools. I can't remember a time we weren't talking about it. So if you weren't going to a protest, people were talking about the next one. And at one of those protests, very close to her childhood home in Slirma, my mother was assaulted by a police officer and then arrested. And everybody sat down in the road which meant that the police had to physically move them. You'll hear my aunt Cora refer to my mother Daphne as either mum or mummy. Tempers fled, things got really hairy. Um, and there are photographs of a policeman, you know, dragging mummy out of the crowd and put her in a cell, incommunicado. So remember, this was at a time where people didn't know what their rights were. So you knew that if someone was arrested, you didn't know what was going to happen until they came out. And the police were something to be feared at the time, not because they were highly disciplined, but because there's a combination of unmitigated power, you know, total amalgamation with a government that had absolutely no regard for personal rights and no means of redress. Basically, it was a situation where they could do things and get away with them. Like they strip-searched mummy, they shouldn't have done it. Their overriding sense at the time was fear. People were afraid, afraid to speak out, afraid to show their face, afraid to have an opinion. I mean, even in the media, I mean, the media did not use bylines. There were no opinion columns. Uh, you know, there wasn't any pub, there wasn't space for public debate. The only space there was was these, these public protests and whispered conversations in private. And, you know, you knew instinctively it was wrong. So when mum got to the stage where she sort of noticed, you know, why don't our newspapers talk about what's happening? You could put that down to partly traditional, you know, the sort of conservative way of dealing with mm. not talking about, not airing your dirty laundry in public, but also of people being afraid. So, that, yeah, that would have been the context, you know, that had informed her recognition that there was a gap in the market. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When I look back at that arrest and I read the court filings and the news reports of that day, I realise that it was my mother's first brush with real injustice. And it doesn't surprise me that just three years later, when the Labour Party was finally voted out of government after more and more protests, she began to write. Yeah, so the houses were all like this. Yeah. Balcony even though that's very Maltese. Oh, nanna. <laughs> right. Oh, nanna. Sorry, we're late. How are you? Those are my grandparents, my nanna Michael and my nanna Rose. She was a born journalist, I think. You know, it's basically like people are born to paint or to act or whatever it is, something inside her. We're at their and, house uh, in Slema. It's the same old townhouse in which they brought up my mother and her sisters. A lot has been said, you know, she should have stopped writing, she should have been careful what she said, but she was not the sort of person who 
would have had certain knowledge and been able to, to keep it back, you know. I don't think she would have been able to live with herself. Her writing surprised I mean, people in Malta because she was so free with what she wrote and so prepared to put her name to her writing and to expose what she thought was wrongdoing. And, most shockingly, because she was a woman. What did you think of it? And what, what do you think people thought of it? It was something new. Uh, people we were... used to think your father wrote it because people would not believe that a woman could write. Mm. Seems odd. But they didn't associate... Uh, that role with, with being a woman journalist. Here's what my mother made of it, in her own words. So two things happened. Um, Malta got its first named newspaper columnist, and it was a 25-year-old woman. And the thing was a double shock. So this was such a disturbance. And because you look back and you say, but nothing I write is that exceptional. So why did it create all this commotion? Okay. And that created the commotion. Okay. The fact who was writing. That was the start of that it. Was the For my whole life, my mother was always a writer. So I never thought about her as anyone else. And I never thought about the obstacles she faced and why she was so compelled to write when life became so difficult. Here she is in 1998, aged 33, that's about my age now, in an interview that's never been released and was given to me shortly after her assassination. And I thought it was very odd, and the reason given was always that such a column would be impossible in Malta because it's such a close, closely knit society and people are afraid to offend others, they're afraid of stepping on other people's toes. And obviously if you're going to write a proper column, you're going to step on people's toes very often. And she really wasn't afraid to step on toes. I remember one of her first major reports in 1994. She was reporting on the activity of a notorious drug trafficker whose brother was a close friend of hers. They grew up in the same town. And that's the kind of place Malta is. As a journalist, you find yourself reporting on friends, neighbours and sometimes relatives. My mother made a name for herself as a journalist who was prepared to tell the story no matter where it took her. And by this point, people were buying the newspaper just to read her writing. The papers would run adverts saying, don't miss Daphne on Sunday. Our surname became redundant. People would simply call her Daphne. Over time, my mother became more than just a journalist. She became a public figure. People would talk about her more than they talked about the politicians and the businessmen running our country. She was universally read, but in an already divided country, she divided opinion. And as the political debate in Malta heated up in the mid to late 90s, the sharpness of her tone increased with it. In my view, having dipped recently through the entire output from the beginning, I would say the sharpness of tone uh, uh, began around 1998-2000. I mean, the sharpness of tone that we're used to. That's Ranyev Sadni, an anthropologist and a columnist with the Times of Malta. I mean, a sense of being trapped uh, in, in an increasingly mad world. Uh, and it could well be there were other things, not in the public eye, like uh, more pressure, more threats, uh, uh, you know, uh, dangerous things being done to the family by way of threats or, or actual arson. And that also contributed to that. 
and the nature of her writing changed. My mother realised that her future and her country's future was at the mercy of one of the two major political parties, and it galvanised her. From that point on, she left nothing to chance. No one, neither of the two main political parties, no official, no propagandist, would risk our country's future. Here's something she wrote in 2002. The real reason why many of us want Malta to join the EU was voiced unwittingly by a minister in Parliament. The EU removes the rights of politicians and gives them to the citizen. Two years later, Malta finally joined the European Union. I remember this period with a sense of clarity that for other years I just don't have. There was more colour, more products on shelves at supermarkets, better clothes, better cars, more students, foreign and Maltese. But the deeper social changes that my mother always hoped would arrive with European Union membership never came. Our EU membership meant we were one of the Union's closest territories to North Africa. And so soon after joining, the country began receiving asylum seekers. They made their way up from sub-Saharan Africa, through the Sahara, onwards into Libya, and from there they would take small rickety boats to get to Malta. They were hated. Politicians spoke about the need to tow their boats back out to sea or to simply shoot them before they reached our territorial waters. In Malta, people were openly racist, talking about the threat these asylum seekers posed to our identity and our culture. My mother fought back and she began writing about our need to respect our international obligations towards asylum seekers. And I remember my mother picking me up from sixth form one day, driving me home down the Bidniya road when we came across a wall with graffiti written across it. In thick brush strokes, someone had written across the wall, Daphne sucks, black cock. I remember being in the car with my mother and looking towards her and feeling struck at how personal this was, how it was intended to upset her and humiliate her. My mother kept driving past the wall to take me home, and when she dropped me off, she went back down the road to paint over the graffiti before my brothers and my father could see it. It felt like an increasingly mad world, like the country was headed in the opposite direction, away from the promise of human rights and democratic accountability that we thought European Union membership would bring. I always had this um, perspective of somebody on the outside looking in. So that has helped me a lot in my work and also made me not care because, well, I was scared what's happening, but um, I'm not vested in what people think of me because I've said it, you see. It's mm. fine, you know, uh, you're not threatened by that or no, by not. people's attempts to, no, to silence you. In 2008, in the middle of a general election campaign, my mother started her blog. She called it Running Commentary. And then this miracle called the internet happened, right. and this is how my blog in a way started, okay. you know. Okay. I said, now nobody can say we're going to shut her up. Okay. And she started as she meant to go on. The title of her first blog post, Zero Tolerance for Corruption. After decades of writing opinion columns, news reports, satire, she poured it all 
she poured everything into her blog. And the result took Malta by storm. So there was a sense uh, of people saying, I, you know, I wonder who's in Daphne's sights this week. And with the blog, it just became much more frequent. I mean, it, 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 it was like a, um, a caffeine kick, I think, for many people. In a country of 450,000 people, her blog received as many visits every single day. More than a million during election campaigns. By the time we got to the general elections of 2013, her blog didn't just drive the news cycle. It was the news cycle. The general elections of 2013 changed everything. El da Malta al they saw the election of Labour leader Joseph Muscat, Joseph Muscat as Prime Minister. You'll hear a lot more about Muscat as the story unfolds. We didn't know it at the time, but we were entering a new era, and it started ominously. For the second time in her life, my mother was arrested. In Malta, there's a dead-letter law that prevents the publication of political material on the eve of a general election. It was never enforced, but that night, when countless other journalists and bloggers were writing about politics, it was, and only on my mother. I remember the scene clearly. Three police officers, including the head of the homicide division who's now leading her murder investigation, turned up at the house in the dead of night to arrest her and take her to the police depot. Sorry. She was in such a hurry that she left the house in my father's shirt and my jacket. Here she is at the police station and you can hear she's clearly frustrated and clearly worried about what might happen next. I was arrested, I was told, because of an article I published about the leader of the opposition. I have no evidence that I was arrested at the Labour Party's request, but it seems to me the logical conclusion. Now please tell me who on earth would have an interest in reporting me to the police and asking for my arrest because of an article about the leader of the opposition. If not the leader of the opposition himself or his... Remember, the leader of the opposition who she's talking about is Joseph Muscat. Her arrest was a sign of things to come under this period of labour rule that my mother never saw the end of. Alright, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the saluting battery. We can stand close enough to feel the blast and smell that wonderful smell of gunpowder. And of course, get some fantastic... It's November 2019. And we're back in Valletta. Ladies and gentlemen, we hope that was loud enough for you. Let's go the sun is out and there are tourists joy. everywhere. And there's little sign of my mother's death. It's busy and it's easy to imagine that nothing ever happened here. I wanted to walk down Republic Street to visit the memorial to my mother. We were there just a week after Fennec was arrested. Remember, He's the man I had long suspected of being involved in my mother's murder. We're standing outside the protest memorial to my mother. And normally, although it's quite peaceful right now, normally there are groups of um, men sitting around the monument all day just hurling abuse at people who come to put down candles and flowers. And it actually gets quite violent sometimes. So a number of, of women 
um, civil society activists have been attacked while putting down flowers. You know, they've been called whores, idiots, uh, they've been called corrupt themselves, unbelievably. But now, finally, the men seem to have gone, and it's peaceful. And while the government still clears up the protest memorial every night, so one in the morning every day, the men have mostly disappeared. And, you know, it may be wishful thinking, but it may reflect a change in mood in the country. Standing by the memorial, it was tempting to feel optimistic. But I know what Malta's like. And I know how aggressively the government pushed back against our campaign for justice. And I've learned to be cautious. There was an old man sitting by the memorial. And in previous months, he would have been the kind of man who would have abused and harassed people coming to lay flowers and candles at the memorial. I wanted to know what he thought about recent events, whether they had changed his mind even a little bit. Too much. She talked too much, that's what happened, that's what happened to her. I think she talked too much about some dangerous people. <laughs> and uh, you have to be careful, you know, how you talk sometimes. But it was her job, I don't know. Maybe it was right, she was right. Yeah. As I was standing by the memorial, two men walked up the steps behind me. You can hear in their voices that they're from the UK, but I got the impression that they'd been in Malta for a while. I thought they were coming to talk to me, but they just began talking to each other. I don't think they knew that I was her son. And because so many tourists come, someone's put up a kind of translation fact sheet. I think they've got the bloke who ordered the murder, you know, this chap Fennec. Yes. It looks as though the evidence is so strong it was him yes. who got the mafia yes. pipeline yes. going and, and uh, ordered the murder. Yeah. There was something about the way they spoke that made me think my mother's story may be back in the headlines. They arrested him one day last week, didn't they? Sorry, yeah, 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 yeah. He was arrested trying to get away from trying Malta to get away on his again, yacht. Yeah, on yeah. his yacht about four o'clock I'm in the morning. I'm pretty sure it was him. It's almost, was, yeah. The one thing I was dead scared of was that it was upper politicians and strong people in the government. But it looks now as though maybe it wasn't. Well, even they're in with it. Yeah, yeah. Even they're in with that. We, me, me and my wife were here yeah. that day that she got killed. I see. Yeah, yeah we, were, we sat outside bar that day that she got blown up. And it could smell rubber burning on car. It's, it's not easy to live in a country with a political murder, is it? My God, it's not. She, she had actually found out then. She'd found well, what, out what? about Fennec, hadn't she? Oh, it's a, it's a crisis. It's the worst yes. crisis Malta's had in years and years, isn't it? So, I don't know. We're in a bad way at the moment. If they'd done the job way. right in first place, she'd have still been alive. Yeah, that's a point too. Yeah. Yes, agreed. As they turned away, back to busy Valletta, I couldn't help wondering why it was all unravelling now. Had something changed? Had someone been protecting him? Because Fennec isn't the only person I suspected of being involved in my mother's murder. I started to ask myself, just how far up does this go? My mother's murder is written by me, Paul Caruana Galizia. 
The producer is Gary Marshall. Original music by Tom Kinsella. The executive producer is Kerry Thomas. Jorgen Fenech has been charged with my mother's assassination. He has pleaded not guilty. He has requested multiple presidential pardons for the crime. The homicide investigation and criminal proceedings are ongoing. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.